Bob every week um, and, and love uh, their willingness and the talent the Lord has given them to do just that. We'll be in Zechariah 5 this morning as we keep marching through the minor prophets and looking at those things. And it's amazing to me uh, just how things change, but little how things change. Um, you know, things that we can study and look at that, you know, happened over 2,000 years ago and still apply today. But that is the nature of our God. Um, there's nothing that uh, we're going to throw at Him that's going to shock Him, uh, that He doesn't expect uh, and have the evidence that points that we may try to do the same thing. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. We just may find ways, new ways of getting into it. Um, and, and having children of my own, I know full well that they can be quite creative just as I can be in doing those things. But, you know, I'm sitting back and, and uh, about to wrap up uh, my medicine, hopefully tomorrow morning be the last dose. That's what I'm hoping for. And it just uh, does a number on my skin. It really dries me out. I'm, I'm not really, I'm, I have that problem all the time, so I really don't need that help. And my hands are really rough, and I can remember shaking hands with the president of Freed Harden University, and every time I'd shake hands, he'd mention about how much hard work I must have grown up doing and how he just thought that was a great thing. And I said, well, and every time I'd have to remind him, well, about the hardest thing I've ever done is push buggies up a hill uh, at Winn-Dixie in Florence. I still don't know why they put, set that thing up there. And then, of course, you get to the top, and you got to push them. Maybe I was supposed to be an offensive lineman, I don't know, and push people around, but... Uh, you know, and that and throwing a million footballs, uh, you know, th- that'll do it. it. It does help in catching a ball. So there are some benefits, but he was just always, it, it's funny because it would be every so few months I would shake his hand or something like that and he would make some comment. I'd have to remind him again. No, in fact, I was not that hard of a worker, uh, but I do appreciate it, uh, his comments and Appreciate him. I, I would not have been able to go to Freed Harden University without his help and putting me in connection with people who, uh, churches that had a lot of mercy on us guys who were trying to go and, and learn a little bit about the Bible. So I certainly appreciate his efforts in that. Uh, as we get into Zechariah, um, we, we get into the sixth and seventh vision of, of from what we understand is one night of visions. Uh, and and I, you know, I think if you've lived long enough, you've had those nights where maybe uh, you couldn't get your mind to shut off. Maybe you've had a week full of those leading in today. Uh, and, and I certainly read and listen to things and uh, things that sometimes it's hard for me to shut my mind off because I'm thinking of things. I'm reminded of the, the, the New Testament statement where it says, you know, much learning has driven you mad. Uh, maybe you've been there before. And there have been times where I've certainly been jealous of the people who work so hard physically throughout their day that by the time it's time to go to sleep, man, they just, they're gone, right? Um, and I've had days like yesterday was one of those days after uh, refing junior pro football and uh, being out for the chicken cell, I was really ready to go to sleep last night. So that wasn't much of an issue. Uh, but I can only imagine these messages and, and the excitement that they must have brought uh, to some degree. Maybe a little dread. Maybe some things that are going on. And and the idea that God was going to establish a kingdom that we'll look at also in Matthew 16, that the gates of hell shall never prevail against. Uh, we, for the most part, obviously we have our, our struggles and we have our anxious moments. and uh, But we, for the most part, have never experienced what the kingdom of Israel experienced. Uh, imagine the idea of exile. 
and how crazy that must have felt and how out of place that must have been to know that at any moment a conquering kingdom could come in and even at times God would take credit for that to come in and displace you and you know kill family members or you know take you off to another country where you would have to learn a completely different culture and then to have these visions of God is going to establish something that cannot be overrun, that cannot be destroyed in the similar fashion of what you've seen and what you've witnessed, or at least your family, your ancestors have seen and witnessed. And here we see this positive, incredible message of how God is going to defeat wickedness once and for all. In Zechariah 5, it says, I looked up again, verse 1, and saw a scroll flying through the air. What do you see? The angel asked. I see a flying scroll. I replied, it appears to be about 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. Then he said to me, this scroll contains the curse that is going out over the entire land. One side of the scroll says that those who still will be banished from the land, and the other side says that those who swear falsely will be banished from the land. And this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. I am sending this curse into the house of every thief and into the house of everyone who swears falsely using my name. And my curse will remain in that house and completely destroy it, even if it's timbers and stones. And, you know, if I can just interject, what immediately jumps into my mind is the return of Jesus. That one day he's going to return and all wrongs will be made right. That this, this law, this truth giver, and I think what really the, what comes to mind for these Jewish folks is the idea of the law. That the law comes and it gives life, but it also brings a curse. There are consequences to every action, right? Every action, even the actions where we want to do the right thing. We want to do the good thing. We may want to do the righteous thing, but it's all trade-offs. When we choose to do the righteous things, we obviously are going to say no to certain things. Uh, there's a statement that I flippantly use, probably use a little too much. No good deed goes unpunished. Right? There's a sacrifice that must be made to do the righteous thing. And very often, that is my will. That is the thing that I want to see. The outcome that I want, oftentimes, in Christianity, in Christianity must be sacrificed for the good of the people. The good of our neighbor. The good of the kingdom. To be at the center of God's will is to reenact, really, Jesus in the garden, right? If there's any other way, I would prefer that. But if not, I am willing to go and do what you would have me do. And so this idea that there's this curse that's coming, that's connected to the law, but also the fact that Jesus is coming and the glory that we are to see it, it, it outweighs the suffering of this world. In fact, it is through suffering that we can show the light of God the most. Jesus says, I've not, it's not my time. It's not my time to be glorified. And he connects that idea of being glorified, of being lifted up, which is kind of how we see it too, but we don't necessarily connect it to the cross in the way that I believe Jesus is connecting you there. I'm going to be lifted up but it's not going to be in a fun glory way. Right? Even though it be a cross that lifteth me nearer my God to thee. 
I don't know about you, but that's a very difficult lyric for me to sing. There are some of those out there, right? That, that you're about halfway through singing and you're like, wait a minute, do I, do I really know the commitment that I'm making here? Am I really going to follow through with the idea that even though it be a cross that lifteth me, if that's how you, God, choose to be glorified in my life, let it be. It's a difficult statement. It's something that we need to contemplate. And I think that he's kind of getting that across here. Verse 5, we get to the, the second of this vision, or the seventh vision of the seven. Then the angel who was talking with me came forward and said, Look up and see what's coming. What is it, I asked? He replied, is a basket for measuring grain, and it's filled with the sins of everyone throughout the land. Then the heavy lead cover was lifted off the basket, and there was a woman sitting inside it. The angel said, the woman's name is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and closed the heavy lid again. This is an idea. This is a basket, uh, which is a measuring measurement for them. And, and ephah, uh, this is about a half a bushel for those of you who know what that means. You'll know. Uh, I have a decent idea, I think. Uh, but once again, that goes back to how much physical labor I've done in my life. So there you go. You can take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Uh, you know, but that's, that's kind of the idea here. And, and it's kind of humorous to see this, you know, I almost think of a jack-in-the-box like, ha, and pushed back in, closed the lid. You know, that, that reaction, that flight or fight response. And we see that what we see here is, is this triumph. That yes, there's wickedness, and it does not take a rocket scientist. Anyone with a brain that works can look and go, hey, there are things in the world that just aren't right. Uh, to quote the man in black, there are things that I know that will never be right until things are brighter, right? I'm the man in black. We can, every person, regardless of belief system, looks at the world and can say, that's not right, that's wicked, that's evil, that is not of, of, of what we should be. But not everyone looks and goes, I know the solution. Why is the word sin not used in our society more often? Because there's only one solution to sin. And that might be the greatest cuss word of all, Jesus Christ. To say there is a right way and even more importantly, a righteous way of doing things means that quite possibly that we cannot do it on our own. And to do that means that we might not deem someone necessary. And there are a lot of people in the world who make a lot of money off of making you think that they're absolutely necessary. As a minister of the gospel, and, and I came to this church and you didn't have a full-time preacher, so I know full well and always have the reminder that you don't need me. <laughs> I'm not a necessity uh, for this congregation to grow or to continue to be what it is or was before me or after. I remember saying as a youth minister, my job really is to work myself out of a job. I shouldn't be the spiritual guide for your family. I, hopefully I'm a, a nice little tool that, that promotes that and helps that and would be a, a guide, hopefully, but I am certainly no, uh, I'm certainly not a necessity uh, to, for this church to grow and to be what Christ would have it to be. And there are a lot of people in the world today who want to convince you that they are absolutely a necessity to be right, and maybe they might even go to be righteous. Jesus Christ is the necessity. 
the Holy Spirit, which I think is something that we in our tradition negate quite often, is a necessity. We get to Matthew 16, and, and I want to go there very quickly. And, and it's interesting, the context of Matthew 16, as we connect, and I, I didn't get there at the end of uh, verse 5, uh, Babylonian, Babylon comes back up at the end. And, and, and obviously we know if you've read Revelation that Babylon becomes a symbol of really wickedness and, and an empire that is against God, uh, right? And, and, and something that... To, you know, they would use, and, and obviously John in his writing in Revelation kind of being uh, using a language, a subversive language, because uh, they didn't have the protected freedom to be able to mail whatever. You can mail pretty much whatever you want in this country. There, if they would have found, if he'd have just come out and said, I'm talking about Rome, you know, the message probably would have never been delivered. And so Babylon becomes this, this image of wickedness or this empire that would challenge, and I use that in quotation marks, because it would have been easy to live in that time period and go, we're being oppressed, right? And, and, you know, a lot of times we use the word, it's safe. And it's important for us to always ask, compared to what, right? Well, well, it's safe compared to what? You know, somebody asked yesterday, how many times out of 100, if you tried to tackle Derrick Henry, could you tackle Derrick Henry? I said, that's the wrong question. It's how long would I survive of trying, right? It's safe compared to what? It's like the guy who comes in and goes, well, your, your arsenic that we're using to, to kill your leukemia, it's organic. Well, so is snake venom, right? A snake venom is organic. So compared to what? We must fill in the blank. Well, what is evil compared to what? Well, what we would like in our society is to take away the comparison, Right? It's safe because I tell you it's safe. <laughs> My kids believe things are safe, not because I say they're safe, but because Whitney says they're safe. Right? I say something, well, we've got to go double check with the authority. Well, shouldn't we do the same? Well, let me go double check with the authority. And then the question becomes, who is the authority? And in the New Testament, there's a lot of time spent on determining who the authority is. In Matthew chapter 16... If you look at the verses leading up to verse 13, you see uh, the Pharisees demand a sign. Well, how do we know you are who you say you are? We need proof. Which is really kind of a great question. Because evidence is important. Right? But we need proof. And then Jesus goes on to warn of what? The leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Be careful. Because they set the tone of the culture. Be careful of their willingness to say that it's the law, it's the traditions, it's what we give you that you should trust. Who do we set up? How do we choose authority in our life? Because every one of us do. Every one of us makes that choice. Every one of us makes and decides what we buy into and what we don't. What we accept and what we don't accept. And Jesus is priming the pump here. Who sets the standard? We get to verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's a great question, is it not? Everybody today, ask this question on social media. Go home, post it, right? Who is Jesus? And you'll get a thousand different answers. 
and many of them will be accurate. But Jesus knows, just like the question asked to Adam and Eve, where are you? Now, geographically, I would be willing to guess that God knew where they were. I'd be willing to guess that God knew spiritually where they were, personally where they were, mentally, mental health-wise, where were they? But he knew the importance of them answering the question. We answer the question every day. We answer that question every day by how we live, by the things that we say, by how we treat others. Do we love them? Do they qualify as our neighbor? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Another wonderful question, right? Who do you say? Because you have to answer that question. I don't know how judgment will will work out. I don't know if we'll get a chance to defend ourselves, you know, I don't see a whole lot there where we get to do a whole lot of talking. And to be honest, that may be a really good thing, right? For us who believe, that's a tremendous thing, right? Because I don't want to be the one defending. I want Jesus to be the one who is defending my destination. And truly, He does anyways. He will be the determining factor in who goes where. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. As Peter's reply, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Man, I'm not planning on keeping you here all afternoon, but we could totally be here, right? Uh, Just discussing this whole conversation. The one that comes to mind is, did you catch the authority that Jesus gave Peter? And really, I think all the disciples. Obviously, we we have different groups that believe different things about who has this authority. I I tend to believe that within the context, he's speaking to uh, these disciples, these 12 for sure, uh, in the fact that when they come together and make decisions, we see this played out in the book of Acts. They come together and they make a decision and and that kind of is how it rolls. I believe that that's what he's doing. Hey, and, and most of us might wait a minute and go, I don't know that Peter's necessarily qualified, right? I mean, you look in Acts and that's pretty much what the Pharisees and Sadducees said, right? Who, who are these untrained, uneducated men? And what are they doing telling us what we should be doing? It's interesting when we connect the dots in the context of what we're trying to get across here in Matthew 16. Be aware of the leaven of the Sadducees and Pharisees because there's only one reason why they're in power. And that's because God allows them to be in power. It's interesting to me that the high priest prophesies it's better for one man to die than the many. Oh, how right he was. As I've heard before in my life, a broken clock is right twice a day. You know, a blind squirrel can find a nut. I'm that blind squirrel 99% of the time. 
I just hope when all is said and done that the creator of the universe looks at me and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm just hopeful in, in, in God that that statement that Jesus says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. I told the kids this week, I brought up the Beverly Hillbillies and they looked at me like I had a third eye, right? You know, the Beverly Hillbillies didn't look like millionaires, but they made it to California. Right. Sometimes I think that uh, I wear a sign around my neck, at least mentally, I feel like heaven or bust. Jesus said it's better to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than to not enter at all. And there are days where I feel like I got one foot and an extra arm is how weird I feel and how big of a failure I feel from time to time. But I hang on to those words. He who endures to the end shall be saved. This morning, only you can answer the question, who the Christ is. I'd love to be able to answer that for my kids. I I pray all the time that whether they like me or not, (laughs) that, that they get to go to heaven, that they make that decision one day that Jesus is the Christ. But I can't answer that for them. I can make it really difficult for them to say that He's not. And I want to throw everything I can at them in hopes that they'll name Him and give their life to Him. Through baptism, that's what I want more than anything else in the world. But ultimately, I understand they have to make the decision. I'd preach, I'd jump through hoops, I'd do whatever, I'd get on my knees if I thought that might make you commit to the Lord this morning. But I know, and you know, deep down, that you are the one who made that commitment. The beautiful thing about it is, is we recommit every single day by getting up and saying, God, I'm as lost without you today as I was yesterday but you continue to show me grace and mercy. Please, today, wherever you are, whether you've been a believer for longer than I've been alive or you've never given your life to God, do that today. Make that decision. Recommit if that's what needs to happen. If there's some way that we can assist you, we're going to sing this song. I challenge you to listen to all the voices, no matter how great they sound or how bad they sound. We all stand ready to encourage you, to lift you up, to pray for you, to walk this life alongside you, and then one day be able to walk through those pearly gates together. If you have a need, won't you come as we stand and sing?